CSG has simplified the complexity of business by delivering innovative customer engagement solutions that help companies acquire, monetize, engage, and retain customers. CSG manages billions of critical customer interactions every year, and you can find out more by visiting csgi.com. Welcome to the Light Reading Podcast. I'm Phil Harvey. I am an editor here at Light Reading. I am joined, as ever, by my uh, co-host, colleague, and fellow editor, Kelsey Zeiser. What's up, Phil? <laughs> I almost <laughs> tripped over my words just then. It wasn't that I was trying to be, um, uh, you know, Walter Cronkite-like. I just couldn't quite get the words out. <laughs> so get used and to now that. you know the rest of the story <laughs> that's paul harvey not phil oh, harvey. whoops <laughs> it's a different it's a different uh overrated uh media personality good night and good luck <laughs> that was i think is that cronkite that was somebody else oh man <laughs> my media trivia is just just not doing so well already <laughs> All right, but but good. Uh, the good news is we can we can introduce our guest, and she will save us because she's way more entertaining than than <laughs> any stupid knowledge I have of broadcast history. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Mari Silby from US Ignite. I'm so excited to be here, guys. Mari is a former editor at Light Reading. She is the um, director of something or other at US Ignite. <laughs> yeah, you know, titles titles are really just more trouble than they're worth, quite frankly. Please correct me on your title because I didn't I didn't look it up. I thought you were director of corporate communications before. I am uh, senior director of partnerships and outreach. Ah, okay, that is critically definitely different. Critically important. <laughs> yes, that's definitely different. But um, for those of us, for those uninitiated, uh, US Ignite does what and where? Mm -hmm. So we are accelerating the smart city movement, smart community movement, and we do that by working with communities directly and nonprofit organizations and the academic sector and also the private sector. So we do a range of things from helping to stand up uh, pilot deployment projects of smart city sensorized types of, uh, of experiments mm -hmm. um, to wireless test beds across the country. And uh, we're just basically out there doing a lot of uh, experimenting and seeing what works and can be, uh, can be taken to scale. Right. So light reading uh, readers would have uh, mostly seen stuff around the reporting we've done on um, the U.S. Ignite funded uh, and, and helmed, I should say, projects uh, regarding uh, 5G testing. Uh, those have been kind of the more, some of the more recent developments. Um, we'll ask you about a couple more uh, things that are uh, on the front burner. Um, so the topic today is really around um, broadband everywhere, but also, you know, in a pandemic, as we've covered a few times, the lack of broadband reach in the U.S. has been um, pretty heartily exposed. Uh, you know, companies and communities are realizing that they didn't have nearly as much coverage as they thought they did, or the coverage that's reaching you know, uh, different uh, populations, especially in some school districts, is not nearly, you know, the throughput is not nearly what it should be for people to do uh, in home school. Um, so those are those are like the, the, the big problems that broadband uh, in America is facing. Um, the 
the the extend extending the availability of broadband, um, raising the internet speeds, and then um, finally, and this will be kind of I think more of a post pandemic problem, is the economic issue. Um, so many people have spent so much of the pandemic either unemployed or underemployed that I think critical things like broadband are going to um, need to be, there's going to need to be ways to uh, fund and uh, lower people's internet bills. Um, so well, you know, there's can... already a, a plan for a, a new infrastructure week uh, a new... coming, <laughs> a new infrastructure week. I know we're still waiting on the last infrastructure week. I, that's what I was about to say. Maybe, <laughs> maybe they'll happen week, you know, one yeah, week after will, another, yeah. we'll get yeah. two or infrastructure even weeks. Currently, even yeah. Competing <laughs> infrastructure weeks. Is that an um, infrastructure yeah. fortnight? Yes. Yes. Oh, dances too. There's going to be dances involved. Uh, but, uh, You're welcome. Yeah, but that's 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 a good uh, good thing to look forward to, though. Is is the new administration and what um, you know views they have on making broadband available? So that's it's going to be a big topic in 2021. It's already a big topic now because of the opportunities missed. Um, and obviously, US Ignite is 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 uh, in the middle of this because you're having to talk to um, cities about what their plans are to take advantage of, you know, new and upcoming types of connectivity. But you're also talking to the companies that are providing the connectivity and the companies that are hoping to profit from it. Um, and um, I wanted to find out a little bit about a specific thing that's listed on the website uh, called Project Overcome, which I think targets some of these broadband issues. Can you give us a, a an overview of what that is and what's and who all is involved? Yeah, absolutely. I I do want to even before that give a give a quick shout out because I don't know how many people know about this, but one of our community partners, Chattanooga in Tennessee, um, partnered with the uh, Electric Power Board, the EPB folks there. So these are the guys yeah. who did the, the first gigabit community uh, about 10 years ago is when they started. And they are now um, powering a new initiative to provide internet services to about 28,500 economically challenged students in the, the Hamilton County. So the idea cool. is they, have, they are funding for a period of about 10 years within their operational budget um, to be able to make sure that that students in the all students in the county have access to internet. They're going to receive a router and at least a connection of 100 megabits per second uh, of internet service at no charge. Um, wow. And I I put that out there just because you know if there's one thing the pandemic, as you said, has made clear, it's that it is absolutely essential, particularly when we're remote. But even when we're not remote, we're going to continue to, to have so many things that require those connections for kids at home and for educators. And the fact that uh, the Chattanooga folks have done what they've done to pull together the public and private sector partners to make that possible, uh, I just feel it would be remiss in a conversation about connecting yeah. and unconnected, not to, not to highlight a, a major success down in, uh, in Hamilton County in Tennessee. That's an so. excellent uh, example of, of uh, cities taking care of their, uh, their citizen population and also giving them work, you know, something that they can actually, that, that's real broadband. I mean, that's a, that's an amazing amount of connectivity and that's a, that's a great, uh, great effort there. Um, before the next, before you continue to describe or you start describing Project Overcome and before, uh, you know, and, I, and I'm sorry to cut Kelsey off again, but 
um, Kelsey needs to contribute to this part because uh, we're on Zoom and even though we can't, even though the folks on the audio feed can't uh, see this, um, Mari was just in her, her space was just invaded by a gigantic gray cat. Can you please? <laughs> ex oh, wow. There he is. Who, who, who are we, uh, who are we talking to here? Yeah. So this is Max. He is one of two <laughs> feline household members. Uh, oh. And he is the one who, this is what he does. He comes and jumps up on my lap and then I can't move my legs for the next three hours. And that's, he was, that's uh, he was he was all about not not caring about the keyboard, the camera, or anything. He was just taking up space. It was great. He has he has, by the way, shown up on other virtual conferences on multiple occasions. So, well, welcome to the podcast, Max. We don't expect you to contribute, but uh, if you're if you're there and we know you're there, that's good enough. Um, so, project overcome. Uh, yes, this is this is something that's uh, it's a uh, funded by the National Science Foundation. It is a project to select, launch, and oversee five proof-of-concept efforts to deploy novel broadband technology solutions to underserved communities. So what's happening here yeah. is the NSF is putting in almost $2 million um, to have us solicit and then help to uh, oversee, deploy, and oversee these five proof-of-concept networks. And what we're trying to take away from this because we're going to stand them up very, very quickly, is to collect as much data as possible from the deployments, both from a technical perspective and a social impact perspective, to see what we can learn about how effective the individual strategies are in their individual environments. So <clears throat> we are in the process of getting uh, proposals in at this point. We've put out a request for proposals specifically to communities, so communities and their nonprofit partners, to uh, give us what they think would be a, a novel deployment. And that could be a novel use, and I can give some examples. It could be a novel ways of putting technologies to, together. It could be an innovative way of bringing partners and sort of the, the business model together. Um, but we're looking for a huge diversity of different proposals, which we will then evaluate in January and February, announce five winners in February, and then really get on the ground at the beginning of March to start making these, uh, these deployments happen. So when I talk about novel network deployments, what does that mean? Well, we've given, we've given some examples uh, on our website, but just to, uh, to, to highlight a couple, um, it could be as simple, for example, uh, is, as, is using, as using existing municipal conduit or rights of way um, to install new fiber, or um, it could be different types of micro-trenching techniques. Um, it could be uh, stringing fiber through, you know, drains or sewers or other things that haven't been, that haven't been fully utilized yet. Um, it could be something very different where you're talking about, you know, you've got a cluster of folks that are missing connectivity in a rural setting, but if you have a, a, a building or some kind of facility that is high enough, a water tower, whatever, they mm -hmm. can do a direct line of sight to a cluster of users um, that makes that worthwhile. That could be an option. We could see people proposing, you know, their own CBRS private networks that are either publicly or privately funded or publicly and privately funded. You know, there's still a lot of experimentation left to do in terms of how 
CBRS networks are used going forward. Um, so again, there's, there's really, really a, a huge range. Um, and it's not that we, you know, this, there's about a million and a half that's going to go directly to these communities and these deployments. So on the one hand, that's a lot of money. On the other hand, it's not a huge amount of money when you're talking yeah. about a network deployment, but mm -hmm. it, we really are talking about uh, pilots that come out of the communities that know what they need to serve their citizens. And the goal is to collect data. The goal is entirely to say, okay, what have we learned from this so that we can use that to inform recommendations for broadband policy or for okay. uh, the industry in terms of what seems to work most effectively to, for communities so that they can know where they should go to look for more resources. That's really the goal of the program. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it sounds like that would be really useful to have um, down the line. Uh, for other similar communities. I did like turn my nose up a little about the sewer example. <laughs> but I mean, it's, you it's, well, it's I don't want to be the one who has to go. Uh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it seems like a practical approach, but at the same time, just um, a little smelly. <laughs> a little well, unpleasant, the, yeah. the other example that jumped out at me was, you know, fixed wireless access is going to be a big player in, you know, um, in 5G, but also just, you know, in, in reaching... Uh, hard, hard to reach homes or areas where we're just sort of fiber poor. And it just strikes me yeah, that like every major city, if they have a water tower near, near enough to, you know, fiber and can get all of the, you know, re reach a bunch of houses and a bunch of things with, with line of sight visibility, that's a, that's a major thing. Or maybe just schools, maybe there's just a water mm -hmm. tower near a school and, you know, you can light up that campus at, at a fraction of the cost that you could uh, mm -hmm. if you had to build fiber all the way to it or what have you. Yeah, um, you know, I've, I've, yeah, I've certainly heard the point made that all the money that we've invested uh, as, a, as a country in trying to, quote unquote, connect the, the unconnected, have mm -hmm. we just put it all towards, you know, building fiber out everywhere, we would, you know, have everybody connected multiple times over by this point. And that's, yeah. that's true up to a point. Um, but really when you get out into some of these rural areas, it's, it's not just not feasible, it's astronomical. I mean, you have to have, mm -hmm. it, those people have to be served the, you know, uh, our land is very large. Yeah. Um, and so there are space. other places where it's just so much more efficient, um, to do, to do some other technologies. Now that said, you know, fixed wireless, whether it, make sense in a non-rural setting as opposed to just sucking it up and doing fiber like <laughs> that's a, that might be a hard call to make yeah yeah so uh switching gears a little bit mike dana recently published um an article on the winners of the rural digital opportunity fund what are your thoughts on the results of that and um what what's the latest uh, that's going on with that fund yeah, I, I don't have any direct connection to it, but I certainly uh, have watched, as everyone else has, to try to determine what it means that the players who uh, are getting funding are getting funding and mm -hmm. what they're going to do with that. And I think, you know, one that everybody has has focused on has been SpaceX and the, the low Earth orbit satellites as a use for, for rural connectivity. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I am fascinated that it certainly has not proven itself 
out yet in terms of yeah. performance capability. So we're still waiting to see that. I also, I talked to an analyst at one point who said basically that he thinks somebody has to subsidize the rollout of uh, Leo constellations because otherwise it's, it's just, it's not a financial model that works mm -hmm. <laughs> particularly, <laughs> particularly right now, you know, the, the CPE itself is so expensive um, that it's just not, it's not cost effective. So it, this is a, this we're, we're saying here that this is not a model that works in the market, but we think it's worth subsidizing to get that reach and that connectivity, whether mm -hmm. that's a good evaluation, a good assessment, we will find out. Yeah. Any thoughts on specifically, you know, the companies that were among the list of winners? <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, there are some surprises, but there are also certainly a lot of uh, incumbent folks that we always knew would be there. Uh -huh. um, and, I, you know, it's it's hard to say, I think. I, yeah. I am very hopeful that there will be benchmarks and accountability and all of that. Um, I do think, and, and this is something that I'm, I'm excited about, that given the state that we're in coming out of the, will be coming out of the pandemic and this particular economic crisis, I think we have an opportunity to, to essentially do what we did 10 years ago. Uh, not, not exactly, but the, the BTOP grants that went out catalyzed a fairly major um, renewal in broadband investment. And I think there will be the political will and the uh, financial resources uh, or decision to allocate the resources that way coming out of this particular period of time. So that's, that to me is a, is a positive thing. Yeah. That's what I was actually going to ask you is what uh, do, does us do agencies like us ignite, you know, are you kind of looking forward to um, the new administration? Well, you know, if we're done counting votes, let's just put it that way, uh, yeah. <laughs> the new, the new administration um, coming in and having a more uh, positive attitude toward broadband connectivity and, you know, widespread, uh, you know, inter uh, internet connectivity and also boosting the minimum, uh, you know, required uh, speed to, in order to call it broadband um, that, you well, know, plus mapping and all that stuff. Is uh, it, yeah. I, I just, cur I'm curious how, how, how you all are sort of, uh, or what you're expecting to see from the new administration, because you kind of have to, you know, given your funding sources and your, your link with government agencies, you kind of have to pivot, you know, depending mm -hmm. on what's, what's going on. Right. I, I guess, I mean, we're, we do, try to stay for the most part out of regulatory issues. The idea is we are, we are agnostic uh, in terms of how things get done. We are about showing here's what happens when they do get done and what can we learn from them and, and replicate elsewhere. Um, I, I do think that, like I said, and it's partly the administration, but it's partly also just the, the environment that we'll be in in 2021. I do think there will be renewed efforts and renewed funding to do a lot more work, um, especially because even if, even if, you know, Democrats and Republicans can't agree on the best way to do it at the very least, you know, broadband is something that everybody is, is on the, <laughs> is positive for, like everybody yeah. believes we should have more of it. Um, 
it'll be interesting to watch too the the FCC. And again, this is just me as a as a personal observer. Um, but I know we're gonna we're gonna end up with some deadlock there as we're waiting for sure. folks to be confirmed. Yeah. So how much you know you you mentioned determining what the threshold is for broadband speeds. You know that may not change for some time just because we're yeah. likely to have a deadlocked FCC. As a consumer and a, and a industry watcher and knower of things, is that a good title? <laughs> knower of things? Better than my um, actual title, yeah. Yeah. Senior <laughs> <laughs> director Mar- of- knower of things. Stuff, yeah. <laughs> um, what, what do you think, like if, if it were up to you tomorrow to say, this has to be the threshold, this is what real, this is broadband, this is how I define broadband, what would you say would be the speed, uh, the speed threshold? My, yeah. my, my views changed over the years. I've, I've gone back and forth a, a couple of times. I guess uh, as, a, as a minimum, I'm, you know, again, this is just my personal opinion. I am relatively comfortable with the 100 megabit uh, threshold um, mm-hmm. as, as an idea. Is that, is that what we should be pushing for? No, that should be the minimum. That should be the, the floor. Right. Um, there's clearly so much more that we want to be able to do that, you know, there's, <laughs> there's my, you know, I want a holodeck personally. I, I want my own personal <laughs> holodeck. I have been saying that for so many years. Um, but basically the, the ability uh. to have interactive, you know, uh, m- interactive fake worlds, <laughs> um, just things that are modeled uh, visually in real time, you know, okay. let's, let's leave the holodeck aside for a moment, right. but let's just talk about like, oh, if we were doing development of a piece of land, you know, what uh-huh. would right. that look like if we were doing this based on the actual data versus, mm-hmm. um, you know, different scenarios we would want to plug in. Like there's just, there's so much that we could do in this virtual space that, those types of of, of uh, internet speeds and thresholds are are just going to have to continue to to go up, and we won't, you know, we won't know what what those look like until those speeds are there. So we should always, always, always be pushing, you know, not yeah. speeds exactly, but capacity. Um, but yes, from a from a pure, you know, baseline, what do what do uh, Americans need at this point in their homes? I think a hundred megabits per second is it is a pretty good baseline threshold. Yeah, uh, that that sounds about right. I, I was thinking, yeah, a hundred ish, but I was also thinking that we that the you know n- now that Netflix records everything in eight K, you know, in mm-hmm. anticipation of using it down the road, it's like it's clear to me that like even a hundred is going to be a temporary stop mm-hmm. on the way on the way to something else because it's like look, they're they're already ready for mainstream content to be hitting this this thing. And even though there's amazing compression and, you know, network algorithms that they use to deliver the highest quality picture on the worst possible bandwidth, that's only going to take you so far, you know, in 8k, (laughs) when we start getting to that, that level 4k and 8k, when that becomes a bit more, um, a bit more mainstreamed. So that's where my head is at, is I, I would ask Netflix, you know, what's, uh, you tell us. <laughs> You're recording in 8K. What do you think we should have? What would be optimal <laughs> to to broadcast this? Because soon enough, everybody else is going to Netflix. F- yeah, well, everybody else will fall in line with that standard. Yeah. I mean, I think I think when you start streaming, um, you know, when you start streaming entertainment, everything else kind of bases itself on what that experience is like. I mean, great example is it wasn't too long before 
or, or too long after the, um, you know, the mainstream pay TV companies started bragging about broadcasting in HD that all the conference, you know, video conference companies suddenly said, oh, wait, this is a huge opportunity to, you know, upgrade our systems, upgrade our cameras, extract more money out of the, <laughs> out yeah. of our customers. And so it all, it all went up precipitously with, but by following the consumer pay TV market and I, or the consumer video market. And I, I don't see it as being any different on the broadband side. I feel like it should just follow like, what, what are we capable of distributing? And let's just aim for that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, on the other hand, this sort of brings to, to light to the issues with 5g and the fact that it has been, you know, that marketing term has just been, has been out there for so long and pushed so hard. And, and now consumers are quote unquote getting 5g and, you know, for a lot of people, it's like, well, the speed's not better or it's better in this one, one by one square foot segment of my home. Um, so there's, you know, there's, there's perils too, to what you label things and, and how yeah. they're, uh, you know, how you set expectations there. Kelsey, do you have 5g yet? Uh, I do not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'd be a no. I'd be a no. Uh, our audio listeners are loving that. They're, <laughs> like, they're smacking their iPhone against the, what's going on? What happened? What's wrong with her? Yeah. Hey, there's one other thing I want to see skips up. if you if you leave her right. on for too long. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sorry, Mari, go ahead. Yeah, there's one other thing I, I wanted to bring up um, on the rural broadband front because it's a program that we have. Uh, there's some news we're going to have that in 2021, which is our platforms for advanced wireless research program known as Power P A W R. Oh, we have a terrible acronym. I don't don't <laughs> some people take great pride i'm sorry that's a that's a you were saying my bad the the power program mm-hmm. will announce a fourth test bed uh in the u.s but this one will specifically be focused on rural broadband and the reason i bring it up is because so right now we have two finalist teams uh, one of which will be selected for full funding and both of them are focused on using a, a heterogeneous mix of wireless technologies at the access point and finding ways to experiment with and uh, essentially use software controls to make the most of the different technologies where they're going to be the most effective. Uh, and then there's differences in terms of how things are, are backhauled as well too and, and different configurations. But this idea of there's probably not one for rural America, there's not one technology that's going to solve everybody's problems, mm-hmm. but that we need to experiment with how do you bring them together in different ways to get the best connectivity for, uh, for these folks that, that cannot otherwise be connected. So we will, okay. that test bed will be announced, I don't know, probably sometime in uh, March, April uh, timeframe. And I'm really looking forward to, uh, it will still take time then to deploy everything and to get everything sure. working. But very, very, I think there's some very interesting things to be learned from that. Yeah, I think those test beds are, are great. I, like I was saying earlier, it's kind of great, great uh, source of information. And also it helps continually remind the industry, you know, like what's possible, like when, when people are working together to, you mm-hmm. know, to achieve something versus just trying to sell more gear. It's like, um, you know, like get, getting, um, uh, getting results from those tests is certainly going to help because 
um, things like open RAN and 5G and stuff like that, even though we cover it to death on light reading, we, we still, we do cover it to death because it's so new, relatively speaking to the broader telecom ecosystem. And this stuff just hasn't been out there very long. So it is, it is good to hear about all these, uh, um, tests as they take shape. And then you, you mentioned, um, you know, collecting data, I imagine for project power and, and then project overcome. Do you, um, how do you then kind of use that data to address other communities? Are you able to come up with a template, so to speak, of um, this is what worked if you have, you know, say this much farmland and um, this access to fiber already or different yes. variables? That's a great question. So there's, it's not like there's a, a particular, um, there's not a, a one answer to that. Um, mm -hmm. There certainly, there will be experiments and uh, projects that are funded on top of these test beds, for example, um, that will produce reports and papers and such that will be published. Mm -hmm. um, sort of more broadly for US Ignite, from US Ignite standpoint, one of the things that we really try to do is leverage our network of communities and academic and private industry partners to make sure that we are sharing information across all three of those sectors. So we mm -hmm. do a lot of best practice sharing, uh, a lot of lessons learned, a lot of you know resource matching and putting different groups with different groups. Um, because there's no point in reinventing the wheel. There is, right. you know, once you learn it once, the best thing you can do is get that information out to as many people as possible. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I know it can be easy to get in the weeds of the project and how difficult <laughs> that is itself. But then, um, you know, it is, I, I think it is really important to have those um, reports and findings that you can then share. And, and like you said, not have to uh, reinvent the wheel again, even though that's not always the fun part. <laughs> <laughs> no, reporting, reporting, yeah. bane of our existence, <laughs> nonetheless. All right. I think uh, I stumped Phil. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just like, thinking about reports. <laughs> yeah, I'm just thinking about reports. I, I just went to. Sorry, I went into sleep mode. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> no, um, the the thing I was going to ask about was just um, what's the what should we be. Uh, uh, you've given us a few things to kind of look forward to. Is there anything, you know, imminently that we should be watching for, you know, in the next next month or two to come out of US Ignite? Um, I guess information on the test, uh, the test you were talking about um, on the power side, anything else? Yeah, I mean, those, those project overcome selections will happen in February. So it is, okay. in fact, we are, uh, I think the deadline for the submissions is January 8th. So okay. I can tell you that weekend is going to be a lot, of, a lot of reading and uh, initial assessing to try to whittle that down to some more manageable number for, uh, for further review. So, but that, that right. announcement will be uh, pretty, pretty quickly in the new year. Fantastic. You're, um, this is your, I think, seventh podcast appearance in some form or fashion on is the that right? podcast. Yeah. I have no idea. I went so back fancy. and looked and you've been on with <laughs> Alan Bresnick. You've been mm -hmm. interviewed a couple of times at our cable next gen event, which we would normally be having either in December, January or November. And then and then Kelsey and I have uh, have have uh, had you on a couple of times in addition to that. So it's like uh so yeah you're like uh you're you're one of the mm -hmm. You're one of our go-to guests, apparently. <laughs> oh, repeat customer. Re repeat. Uh... So, 
because of that, we need to know uh, something off topic. Um, what's, uh, is there a particular um, uh, Christmas uh, or holiday food item that you're, oh, that you're craving okay. or looking forward mm. to in the next few days? Well, we have a very special uh, stuffing recipe in my family that uh, we always had for Thanksgiving, my grandmother's stuffing recipe. And um, I have actually, we usually celebrate Thanksgiving with my husband's family and do Christmas with mine, just the Mm. way it works out. And so I have missed out on Thanksgiving dinner for many, many years. So at some point we switched over, not switched, but we added that uh, to the the Christmas agenda as well. And being the brilliant daughter and sister that I am, I (laughs) refused to learn how to make this stuffing and Mm. instead uh, pass the torch onto my brother, letting it skip me entirely. (laughs) And in this, uh, in this pandemic year, we are my, we're not going to see my parents, uh, but we are going to get tested and quarantined and my brother's going to come over and I'm going to see if I can, uh, can force him into a little making of stuffing for Christmas. So it's not a situation where he's going to just teach you over, over Zoom or something, how to do it. No, no. Uh, Kelsey, what about you? Do you have a specific uh, uh, Christmas uh, culinary indulgence you're, uh, you're, you're, you're looking forward to? Uh, my brother makes me a, he calls it a father of four size gin and tonic. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Last year he handed oh. me a, um, like travel coffee tumbler. Right. <laughs> it was yeah. full of gin and tonic. I think I got oh. that text. I think I did That's last amazing. year. That's <laughs> amazing. Yeah. He's like, so what it's... is this? He's like, sorry, I gave you the, I have four kids size. Version. Right. Yeah. The four kids gin and tonic is definitely a different size, different size and strength than the others. Yeah. Uh, it seems it like a good, but um, pandemic sized actually. Sounds yeah. right. It has yeah. to get right to work and it has to keep on working <laughs> for a long time, you know, whereas everybody else can enjoy the, you know, the, the yeah. slow build. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it had like two whole limes in it and it took me the whole day to drink it. I had to put it in the refrigerator for a while. <laughs> oh, that's so. hilarious. Okay, Way to pace so, yourself. Way to pace so yourself. Not really a food, but oh, well, you know, you know, so he'll be tending bar and maybe giving you his recipe, which is like, you know, 750 mils of gin and, you know, whatever, and then top it off with tonic. <laughs> wow. That sounds fun. Um, yeah. How so, about you, Phil? Uh, my, uh, my son is, is really into baking. Um, his choir, um, as this is kind of cool with his choir director, they did a thing where since they can't get together and sing a lot, they will uh, get together on zoom on Saturdays every now and then and bake a particular pie mm-hmm. cake project, something like that. So, um, he's going to be baking and decorating cookies and might do, and I have no idea which kind or whatever, but as soon as I hear the oven go off, that's what I'm, I'm down for that. Cause he's, he's, <laughs> he's damn good. I mean, it's, oh, it's, 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 it's ridiculous because he actually awesome. like reads the recipes and does the math. Whereas, <laughs> you know, wh- when so I make something <laughs> in the kitchen, it's all just, yeah, it's just, just grabbing stuff by the handful. I don't care. You know? This looks good. Yeah, yeah. You know, just like, Hey, it doesn't look dark enough. Here's more chocolate chips. You know? <laughs> <laughs> One year and, I made sugar cookies without sugar. <laughs> oh, that sounds like a great British, British baking show disaster right there. <laughs> like, oh, you oh, forgot the, the sugar. <laughs> All right. I don't know who that was. That was uh, the worst impression. <laughs> oh my goodness, listener. Why are you still listening to this? You should be doing, you should be working and doing other things. Um, 
no, I'm, I'm kidding. Of course, uh, we're glad uh, glad everybody's still hanging in there. Uh, Mari, thanks for indulging us and uh, talking about things both uh, super important and completely off topic. We really <laughs> appreciate having you uh, having you on the podcast and having you as a friend of the podcast as well. Mm. Thank oh, you yeah. so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Mari <laughs> and Max. Good and Max, Max, Max thank you for well, being a, a I've got a enough grace. fur for another cat. <laughs> <laughs> Max, happy thank you for gracing everyone. us with your presence. Happy holidays yeah, to happy all holidays. of you listening. Thanks, Kelsey. Um, wow, we good. finished another year of podcasting. How great is that? <laughs> good night and good luck. <laughs> That's it. That's our show for today. Thanks to our amazing producer, Tian Fu, for all his hard work editing the podcast. And also a big thanks to our listeners for tuning in and sharing the podcast with your friends and colleagues. If you have any ideas about a future podcast topic or a potential guest for the show, please email us at editors at lightreading.com. Please also tell a friend to subscribe and thanks for listening to the Light Reading Podcast. We'll see you next time. CSG has simplified the complexity of business by delivering innovative customer engagement solutions that help companies acquire, monetize, engage, and retain customers. CSG manages billions of critical customer interactions every year, and you can find out more by visiting csgi.com.